<laughs> Just a small detail. Hare Krishna. The devil's in the details. Hare Krishna. I didn't have the microphone plugged in. Now it's okay? Yeah. Should be fine. Yeah. So many details to remember, like plugging in your microphone. How do you expect me to remember everything? Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't saying much. So, yesterday we we gave class in Amsterdam. We we were discussing how Prabhupada asked us to be extraordinary people, and how when we when we degrade down to ordinary, that's when we have problems. I'm going to turn this light off on the top of my head here. It's not my actual effulgence. So hold on a minute. It's kind of uh, dark out here today. So we were... You know, we were talking about how, uh, as devotees, if we act like ordinary people, then we run into ordinary problems or we create ordinary problems. And then this morning I was reading an article which was elaborating on the very thing that I was talking about, coincidentally, about how as, as devotees who are advancing slowly in Krishna consciousness, we're, we're very much or often subjected to the influence, influences around us, the social, psychological influences, which sometimes unknowingly can cause us to act in ways which might be problematic for others. And, and often uh, we don't know we're doing that. We don't know how to stop it. We don't understand it. These are realities. So, as I was thinking about it, uh, and I was thinking, well, what's the solution? And it always comes down to the same thing. We have to become more compassionate, free from false ego, free from the need to be right, free from the desire to control and enjoy. And that will go a long way into serving the mission of Prabhupada effectively. And and generally when you see problems, they tend to fall in one of those categories, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm smarter. Some need to control. Uh, or uh, a lack of empathy, perhaps, for how other people are being affected by us. So that's why I say the solution, the solu you know, we can have laws and rules and regulations, but the laws and rules and regulations, they're usually created because we're not pure and to ensure, to ensure we act like we're pure when we're not, we have rules and regulations, but obviously better just to be pure. And when there's purity, rules and regulations aren't always necessary or that important. The lack of purity, you need more rules. 
unfortunately. So if we want to help ISKCON become better, we want to help the world become better, the more we advance in our spiritual life, the more we can contribute to a real solution. So that's, that was just something to think about. I'm sure you already understand this, but I was um, emphasizing it yesterday. And I thought it was an important point. And the theme, the theme of the talk was that we shouldn't be ordinary. We should be extraordinary. Prabhupada didn't want us to be ordinary, like ordinary people. <laughs> There's enough ordinary people in the world. We don't need more ordinary people. We need more extraordinary people. And through Prabhupada's instructions and inspiration, he's pushing us to not be ordinary. And as I said many times, that Prabhupada wanted to create a class of people who were not ordinary. And, you know, if you think about it, ordinary people are... In, in a sense, there's nothing wrong with being like an ordinary person if you're an ordinary person. And it's, you know, if you're not on a spiritual path or striving for something higher and you're just living an ordinary life, working and then going on the weekends, having fun and so forth. That's just to be expected. That's normal. And sometimes you don't get along and sometimes... You're intolerant. That's, that's what ordinary life is like. But if you're trying to be a devotee and you live like that, that becomes a problem because now you stand for something better. So if you stand for something better and you act like ordinary people, that in a sense makes us, I don't want to say less than ordinary, but you understand what I'm saying. It's like we're, we're trying to be better. So if in trying to be better, we don't act better, it, it's a big mark against us. What to speak if we act worse than ordinary people? And the Prabhupada said, don't be like an ordinary person who is intolerant. And then sometimes we might find that we act even worse than an ordinary person. That's, that's something to note and something to work on. And I know I know for a lot of devotees that is a problem. In some areas of their life, they're not they feel I'm not even like ordinary people, I'm worse. I'm worse than people who aren't striving striving to be better. And so striving to be better. So that's something to consider. And you know, when you become a devotee, it's not like some official thing I wear sari or dhoti and put on tilak. But it actually means we're striving to become spiritually elevated. And I think sometimes we forget that, or sometimes we, we write it off. I can't do that. But better we stick to Prabhupada's vision that we can do that, and we should do that. There are many reasons why we should for our own benefit, benefit of others, benefit of the world, and to fulfill Prabhupada's desire in creating a mission that can actually do something. 
Because if you have a mission of people who are like everyone else, you're not going to achieve spiritual goals, and that's what we're all about in ISKCON. So something to think about. Okay. Mm. So we're going to continue reading now. Um, well, Ajainita has a question. Even though you try not to be ordinary, there are devotees you meet who make a situation that, that lets you set back and hinders your spiritual progress. How to keep yourself untouched. Well, this is, this is kind of a perennial question. Let me rephrase your question, Ajayani Tai. Basically, you're saying, I have my values, but in association with certain people, it could be devotees, it could be non-devotees, it could be circumstances. I, uh, to put it in colloquial American English, I unravel. I just unravel. I, I lose my spiritual standing. So, how to deal with that? That's your question, right? How to keep, yeah. Well, first thing I would say is the, ways you, the way you phrased your question shows how you're thinking about the situation. Like, I was doing fine until I met you. And now I met you and you said this or did this. And it just completely threw me off or disturbed me or whatever. So what you're saying is that indirectly what you're saying, I don't know if you, if you realize this or you even mean this, but indirectly you're saying that person is responsible for my weakness, because by their association, I become weak. And there is some truth to that, but the other side of the equation is that I should be strong enough that no one can throw me off course, no matter who, no matter what. And that's a better way of thinking, and that's a better goal, because otherwise I could blame that person. You know, let, let's say a brahmachari has an encounter on Sankirtan with a, a woman that he finds attractive. So, in this situation that might incite his lust. And we can say it's because of that contact that that lust was incited, and we could agree. But you can't blame her for your lust. You have to blame yourself for your lust. So what would the answer be to that question? Be more Krishna conscious. So in those situations, you maintain your purity. So the ultimate answer, I think which Prabhupada would want us to understand, is that, well, it's twofold. On the highest philosophical sense, nothing can disrupt your Krishna consciousness, no situation. That's how, at least that's, that's what we want to strive for. Nothing can disrupt your Krishna consciousness. 
or we shouldn't let anything disrupt our Krishna consciousness. But, you know, that young brahmachari met this woman and she was attractive to him, so it did disrupt him. Or I was with a devotee who was talking about things which were disrupting my mind, maybe criticizing devotees or so on. So th there is obviously those situations. And, it, and then we just try to avoid those situations. Like, for example, in, in Sankirtan, sometimes young men would have difficulty. So then we would say, well, if you have difficulty, just don't, don't distribute books to young women, you know, over a certain, you know, either don't distribute books to women or over a certain age. Now, you should be more mature that you could deal with it, but if you can't, then take precaution. You should be more mature to be able to deal with the situation or this devotee, but if you can't, Take precaution, distance yourself. But philosophically, we understand that if we're more advanced, then we'll be less affected. Now, you might say, well, what if it's a mayavadi? Because we read in Chaitanya Charitamrita that even a devotee on the stage of Bhav could fall down through association with a mayavadi. And that's true. Or... Nectar of, Nectar of Devotion says that association of people who worship, worship demigods can infect your heart, and it's true. So there are natural precautions we take. And so, you know, both things are true. Precaution has to be taken. At the same time, we don't want to blame that beautiful woman for our own lust. We have to blame ourselves for our own lust. Or... Our own, you know, a situation may incite a desire, but ultimately we don't want to blame the situation. We want to understand it's my desire that the situation is inciting. The situation isn't putting the desire there. It's agitating the desire. The desire is already there. So at least if you understand that, you'll be okay. Uh, okay, so now let's begin reading. This is from a letter written in November of 1968. Where were you in November of 1968? What were you doing? Many of you don't know because you weren't born. Probably most of you were not born then. I was in university then. Having a great time. Missing as many classes I, as I possibly could. And still getting good grades. That's American life at the university. Yeah. Actually, what the reality is that Krishna gave me a lot of time to read Bhagavad Gita when I was at university. That's you know skipping skip class and read Bhagavad Gita. If you're going to skip class to read Bhagavad Gita, yeah, maybe not so bad. So here's the letter regarding your questions. Your first question: Are great sages put under the Yoga Maya or Mahamaya? Also, are all the eternally liberated souls under Yogamaya? Yogamaya means the mercy of the Supreme Lord, which connects a devotee in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. And Mahamaya means the external potency of the Lord, which puts a conditioned soul into illusion, so that he will be happy by material adjustment. So great sages who are impersonalists are under the spell of Mahamaya, 
Interesting. Because a conditioned soul in the material world wants to improve his material position as exalted as possible. And the concept of becoming one with the Supreme Lord is the greatest illusion for them. So, when Prabhupada talks about Mayavadis, those who want to become God, sometimes he calls them transcendentalists, and sometimes he says that they're actually materialist, as in this situation, because they want they have the greatest material desire, which is to be God. They're not messing around here, like trying to get rich or famous and imitate God. They're going for the juggler vein. We're not going to imitate God. We're going to be Him. We're going to become Him. So in that sense, uh, Prabhupada sees them as materialists. But because Brahman is transcendental, sometimes they're described as transcendentalist or because they have some understanding of the limitations of material life. Sometimes they're described as transcendentalists. But here, he's saying they're under the influence of Mahamaya. The Mayavadis are in Maya, stuck to Maya. Because it is a fact that nobody can be equal or greater than the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And as such, anyone desiring to become one with the Supreme Lord means that he is still in the trap of Maya. On the other hand, a humble devotee, who may not be a great sage, but simply by his implicit acceptance of the lotus feet of the Lord as the goal of his life, means that he is under the protection of Yoga Maya. Now, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Now we could ask the question, we could, and not only could we, we will. We will ask the question, are ISKCON devotees in Mahamaya or Yogamaya? And the answer is, depends who you're talking about, and depends on the time of day you're talking about them. In other words, we can oscillate. We can be protected by Krishna, engaged in devotional activity, <coughs> or we can, as we say, fall into maya. Hmm. So we can oscillate in our conditioned state. You already know this because you have experience of this. Um, but generally, I think we would say devotees are under the influence of Yoga Maya. And every every time that you get an inspiration to be Krishna conscious, or every time you get a realization, that's Yoga Maya. And every time you get a realization how you can be happy without Krishna, that's Mahamaya. So. I'm sure you've gotten both realizations, right? Is that true? You know, we wouldn't call it a realization, but it is a realization. Because Maya puts realizations in your head. Just as Yoga Maya, Krishna puts realizations in your head. So 
the more green you are in bhakti, the more you oscillate between yoga maya and mahamaya, and the more <coughs> you advance, the more you advance, then the more you remain under the protection of yoga maya. Okay. This is December, so continue to chant your 16 rounds daily. Even there is effort. In other words, you don't really want to do it, but just do it. And I am sure you will be helped by Krishna through the difficulties of this inferior energy maya. So this devotee is having trouble. And Prabhupada is... Basically giving him an instruction that if you chant 16 rounds, you're under the protection of Krishna. And if you continue doing this, you'll get spiritual strength to deal with your problems. Now, someone could say, yes, but I know so many devotees, and they're chanting 16 rounds, and they're having trouble. And we have to avoid offenses. So they may be making offenses and then the potency of chanting is not overcoming their troubles. Or they may be highly conditioned, very, very conditioned by some anartha. And it's going to take a long time to overcome it. And in either case, Prabhupada has always told us just keep going on, even when it seems like it's not working. And I think for a lot of devotees, it, you know, when they look at their lives, they question, is this actually working <laughs> Am I am I actually making advancement? It, it's working. Well, it definitely will not work if you stop. So, and the concept of keep chanting even if it's not working is is that if you keep chanting, you can improve your chanting. And by improving your chanting, it's going to be more effective. Whereas if you stop chanting, then there's no way to improve your chanting because you're not chanting. And so someone may think, what's the use of chanting if I'm not chanting well? And there's some validity to that. But the solution is not to stop chanting because then how will you improve something if you stop doing it? So, you know, we had discussed this Last week, you know, Prabhupada saying, 16 rounds go back to Godhead, and that sounds too easy. But if we want to clarify, he's, Prabhupada has always ta taught us to chant without offense. So we can't, we can never say Prabhupada saying <coughs> any kind of japa, any kind of chanting. But it has to be somewhat pure. So you feel like you're not advancing. And it may be that you're not advancing because your chanting is not pure. Or you're uh, committing, and you're not aware of it, committing offenses to holy name, committing offenses to devotees. But if you continually chant with the desire to improve, then theoretically you will improve, and theoretically you will overcome that conditioning, and theoretically more and more you'll come under the influence of yoga maya, not mahamaya. And I was reading yesterday, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Prabhupada was talking about the 26 qualities of a devotee, 
and he was saying that as you advance, these qualities will manifest. But you should see, you should test yourself. Are they manifesting? Because if they're not, it means you're not advancing because these are the signs by which you know. Like if you're getting better, the doctor will say, these are the signs that you'll know you're improving. So, you know, if you don't see those signs, you, you start to worry, am I getting better? And maybe you're doing everything the doctor says and you don't see the signs, so you go back, say, I don't see these signs. And the doctor questions you what you're doing and then he finds out perhaps you're taking the medicine wrong or you're doing the exercise wrong or whatever. So this is nice, you know. Sometimes we say, oh, I'm so this, I'm so that, I'm bad at this, I'm not this, I'm not that. And Prabhupada's saying, but if you're advancing, you should see the 26 qualities developing to some degree, not fully, but some degree. And Prabhupada said, you should test yourself to see that they're developing. And if they're not, it's a problem. And if they're not, you have to go back to the drawing board and find out what, where am I negligent? After all these years, what's, what's going on here? I'm still attached to this, or I'm still, these qualities are not developing like that. So I think that's important. Ah, you know, have a way to calibrate that you're becoming Krishna conscious. Another way you calibrate it is your disinterest in material, the material world and, and disinterest in advancing materially, disinterest in enjoying materially. These are signs. And if, if that's not subduing, then some little alarm should go off or some little concern, especially if you've been a devotee for quite some time. 10, 20, 30 years, these should be natural, there should be some detachment, some disinterest, and obviously some attachment to chanting, some attachment to hearing, some attachment to service. And if not, I have to go back and say, what am I do? think, what am I doing wrong? What am I maybe not necessarily doing wrong, but maybe not doing enough of? Or is there something that I'm doing that's undermining my bhakti? something material like that. <clears throat> so we have some comments. Can there be devotees also present outside of being in Krishna consciousness? You mean outside the movement? Can there be a devotee who's not Krishna conscious? You, I, you must mean outside the movement. Of course. If that's what you're asking. But if you're asking another question, then... Um, you know, the movement is an organization which was established to spread Krishna consciousness. And with every organization, there are human beings in it. You probably notice human beings, what human beings are like. And even though we're devotees, we still have a human side. And so all the social functions and interrelations and bureaucracy that's necessary for organization, sometimes it just doesn't work for everybody. 
There's one of our one of our God brothers who's calling for a new ISKCON without any of the current leaders. And that's his mission. So he doesn't like the current ISKCON. He's got issues with it. As, you know, even many people within the organization have issues with it. As some people just, you know, it's really difficult to work within an organization. And so sometimes they'll go out, they'll just be outside of ISKCON, or they'll join another organization outside of ISKCON. Does it mean they can't be Krishna conscious? No. If you chant 16 rounds, follow the principles, study Prabhupada's books, preach. Prabhupada would prefer we all work together. That would give us the greatest power. That was his desire. But I don't think we can expect that everyone's going to do that. We hope that you all do that. We hope that you all can work together. But there are those who will not function well in an organization that has um, a lot of authoritarian structures, GBC, temple presidents like that. It'll be hard for them. Or there may be people that just by their nature need to be in charge of their own organization. And they don't see it eye to eye with some of the things in, in ISKCON and they don't know how to change it or deal with it so they just start their own group. Um, human nature, that's what it is. And some of these people are, their spiritual practice, their sadhana, their services, their renunciation and so forth, that will determine their spiritual advancement. Um, Prabhupada would be happier if they could work with an ISKCON. But I think many of them feel that Prabhupada is happy that they left ISKCON. Maybe they feel they're doing better. I can't speak for them. But one thing I would say that's important, and I don't think this is well understood, if someone exists outside the borders of ISKCON to make an assumption that they can't be Krishna conscious is, um, is not correct. Now, you might say Prabhupada said some people have left Krishna consciousness and, they, and, and Prabhupada wrote in a purport to think that you can be Krishna conscious outside the Krishna conscious movement is an illusion. So some people take that to mean that to think you, you can't be Krishna conscious outside of ISKCON is an illusion. Well, there's a lot of people outside of ISKCON who are very Krishna conscious. So what Prabhupada meant was to think you, he was talking about living alone, isolating, being aloof from devotees. To think you can be Krishna conscious without association of devotees is an illusion. Now, one, you know, the funny thing is also, if you say, well, what does it mean to be in the Hare Krishna movement? Well, ISKCON hasn't really defined what it means to be, or to be a member of ISKCON. To be a member and to be in the Hare Krishna movement are not the same thing. It's the Hare Krishna movement. Wherever there's um, Prabhupada's instructions being followed, whether it's in the official structure or outside, that's the Hare Krishna movement. And at one time, some devotees were criticized of being independent. 
Prabhupada said, whatever there are two devotees chanting, that is ISKCON. So then he was defining ISKCON based on principles, you know, hearing and chanting. So, and some people who have left ISKCON feel that they're actually serving Prabhupada's desire better. They couldn't serve it in ISKCON. Of course, that's debatable. I'm just, I'm just saying this is how they see it, just so you're aware. But my point is that Criticizing a Vaishnava is not, is not what Krishna consciousness is all about. Respecting a Vaishnava is what it's all about. So if someone chooses to work outside of Iskand, who was initiated by Prabhupada, um, to respect them for that decision, to disrespect them for that decision, and thereby criticize them, is not proper. We shouldn't do that. It's not what Prabhupada would want. We may discuss amongst ourselves that Prabhupada wanted us to stay in this kind of work together, and that's what we should do. But we can do that without criticizing those who have left. I think the problem is that for some devotees, when you talk about what to do, they naturally criticize those who didn't do it. So we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to create a war between every organization outside of ISKCON. And it is a fact that Prabhupada had said some derogatory things about some godbrothers and about what happened in the Gaudiya Mutt. But he was saying those things within the context of showing us that this is what happened in his spiritual master's movement, so be careful that it doesn't happen in our movement. It wasn't that Prabhupada was just taking pot shots for the sake of criticizing, but he was showing that after Srila Bhakti Siddhanta left, he didn't appoint anyone as a guru, but he appointed a GBC and let them run the movement. And then naturally, who will initiate? It will, it will happen more organically. That was the way he wanted it. And this was the first time in history there was ever a GBC running, uh, you know, there was ever a GBC who was, quote-unquote, the successor Acharya. The GBC is not a successor Acharya, but I like that, because every guru has a successor Acharya. And now Bhakti Siddhanta had a GBC and no successor Acharya, and said, those who were outstanding as devotees, naturally they'll attract disciples, and you don't have to appoint them. And so, but some devotees, because the system was that there's always an acharya that takes over an institution, then some devotees thought, but we still need an acharya. And it was, Prabhupada said, it was in disobedience or misunderstanding of his order. So he pointed that out to us, and he said, don't make that mistake, form a GBC. And don't try to establish someone as acharya and, and so forth. So he pointed out the mistakes, he pointed out the people who made the mistakes, and uh, pointed out how some of them were materially ambitious. But pointing it out to us so that we don't make those mistakes. Now, the problem is that it seems like when Prabhupada points those things out, it like gives us a license to repeat it, or it gives us a license to condemn them. 
But you may know that when uh, any of Prabhupada's disciples would even repeat what Prabhupada said about them, generally he would say, "You, these are my godbrothers, you, you can't say this. Because you should always respect the godbrothers of your guru, like your guru. At least, if they're not your six-year guru, at least respect them as a senior Vaishnava and, not, and don't criticize them. And serve them if there is ever occasion. So, Prabhupada said a lot of things about a lot of people, not just devotees, non-devotees. And I think a lot of devotees take this as a kind of universal license just to criticize anyone and anyone. And definitely that's not the mood of a Vaishnava, and definitely that's not what Prabhupada intended when he said these things, that he intended to clarify people's positions, like we're reading today about the Mayavadi. So he's clarifying their position, their materialists. But he's saying it so we understand philosophically what is their position. He's not saying it so we go out in the street and find all the Mayavadis and punch them in the face, which, of course, that's an exaggeration, but you understand what I'm saying. It's like it can excite a kind of, what I would say, a destructive attitude towards people because Prabhupada said these things. And so I, I see that that attitude is often aroused within ISKCON because Prabhupada said it, then other people say it, and other people say it. And then you kind of get the impression that everyone outside of ISKCON is kind of useless and not doing much and disobeying their gurus and etc etc and that's not true and i think it's very important to understand this because if we don't we're we're creating a really dysfunctional precedent and we don't want to pass that down to successive generations of devotees who think that they have a right to criticize anybody and anybody because Prabhupada did and i'm just saying this, not as a criticism, but I'm just saying because I've seen this. And there are more Krishna conscious ways to deal with this reality. There are move, Gaudiya movements outside of Iskand. In a sense, we're one larger family. Um, recently, there was an inc- instant, instant incident. Very interesting uh, one of the leading preachers in India had made some derogatory statement about Gaudiamat, you know, based based on things that Prabhupada said. And I think a lot of times when we read what Prabhupada said, we kind of extrapolate and come up maybe with a different story or or we come up with something which is an extension far beyond what Prabhupada said or what he intended for, <coughs> for us to understand, what to speak of, speak publicly. So he, he had said, so he was quite popular on the internet. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of hits for his, some of his classes, and he had said something derogatory, and it came back to the Gaudiya Math, and they, they wrote a very polite letter, and, and they were just saying, I don't think this is healthy, for our work in spreading Krishna consciousness, and I don't think it is healthy 
for this devotee, for his own spiritual life, because he's criticizing advanced Vaishnavas. Vaishnavas, they didn't say it more advanced than him, but just I think they said senior. But it was a very, very nice letter, very polite. And it was written to the leaders and said, I just want to bring this to your attention. And it was brought to the attention of the leaders. The leaders did speak to him, and he publicly apologized, which was good. He took a humble position. But I think this underscores my point that, it, <laughs> you know, Tridata Pisanichina, Torah Pisahishnana, Amanina Manadena, Kirtanina Sadaha, we're supposed to respect everyone, and then we disrespect Vaishnavas and other movements. Now, again, we may say, okay, well, Prabhupada wanted us to work together with an ISKCON or in, in this branch of Godi, the Gaudiya Mission, the Gaudiya Math, or Gaudiya Temple. They emphasize this, and Prabhupada didn't emphasize it, or they speak something Prabhupada didn't say. That, that can be discussed. But even, even in that discussion, it, think, you know, philosophy is not cut and dry. You know, Prabhupada said this, but well, did... Is this what he actually said? Did he say anything else? Is this what he meant? And then as you, as you get into it, you see things aren't as cut and dry as they might appear if you just read one or two things. So general attitude towards devotees outside of ISKCON should be of respect. And yes, they can advance, and yes, they can make other people Krishna conscious, and yes, it would be better if we did it all under one roof. And I think... Some of some of the devotees who have left ISKCON would, by being in ISKCON, would have the opportunity to benefit many ISKCON devotees more. But most, you know, I look some of these God brothers who have left. I look at their videos, and they they not they are not getting as much exposure as they would if they were in ISKCON because people in ISKCON don't know about them because they're not on the. They're not on ISKCON Desire Tree. They're not on the basic channels. So, you know, that's unfortunate because uh, many of them can contribute wisely. They have, they're very knowledgeable and so forth. But be that as it may, still advanced devotees doing what they're doing, and we wish we could work together, but we can't for whatever reason. And we still respect them and people come to us, we say, you know, stay in ISKCON, this is what Prabhupada wants, work, work together. If somebody writes me a letter and says, I have been hearing from so-and-so, I have a lot of faith in him, I'm advancing, I've listened to a lot of ISKCON gurus, but this one is special. We don't want to break faith because faith is everything. And so we just have to explain, yes, faith is everything, but if you go on that side, you may lose your sangha in ISKCON, and that's something to consider. It's a reality. But if that's what you feel you need to do, you know, the GBC even has a resolution that says that if you are attracted to a guru outside of ISKCON, you should work in their mission because it's more aligned creates less problems. Because sometimes a devotee will be coming to ISKCON but align with another mission and they'll, they'll say things or make comments in classes and we're all thinking, where, 
Where's that coming from? We never heard heard that before. So it it sometimes you know just creates friction. So thank you for bringing this up. It's an important point. Let's see what else we have here. Siddha Yogini, back in action after a long absence. I have a question. One devotee tried to criticize Sadhguru. He is very famous in India. I don't really care about him, but I didn't want to involve in criticism. He, even he is... Uh, not sure he's a Mayavadi. Um, you know, I don't really care about it, but I didn't want to get involved in criticism. Even he is, not sure Mayavadi or something. Devotee is older Brahman. The devotee is an older Brahman. I told him, don't want to get involved. And he got angry. <laughs> what should I do? What to do in that situation? where devotees are saying, Prabhupada said, they are rascals, and start saying, what Prabhupada said, if you can understand, I don't want to say thank you, I understand. Not rascals, you know. All rascals, all fools rascals. Um, um Generally, Prabhupada publicly avoided talking about other gurus by name. And if he was pressed, he would ask, what do they teach? And then he would discuss those teachings. They say this, and so then... Prabhupada might say, okay, we agree with that. Or they, they say this, say, no, we don't agree with that. Krishna says this, that's not right. Uh, he, he didn't generally want us to publicly defame, humiliate, criticize personalities, especially those who are respected in society. And sometimes he wanted to avoid it publicly. And they would say, what do you think of Sadhguru? And he would say, I don't know who that is. Which, way, which was a way of saying, for me, he's not important, not even important enough that I even know who he is. So that was a way of Prabhupada just sometimes wanted to avoid it or just play down the importance of that person. I've never heard of him. Who is that? I don't know. I've never heard he didn't want to give you know attention or importance. Or he would sometimes say, I don't know what he says, but I know what Krishna says, and Krishna says this. Now, if you're talking about within the circles of ISKCON, yes, we should understand philosophically who is preaching Krishna consciousness and who isn't. And if someone is preaching something that's not Krishna conscious, then obviously we should be aware of that. And I think Prabhupada's definition of rascal usually comes in the form of 
If you're giving knowledge without authority, then you're a rascal. I saw an interview with Jaggi Vasudev, and they said, do you have a guru? And he said, no. Like, do you, do, where did you get your knowledge? You study Bhagavad Gita. He said, no, I never read it. Something like that. So that's Prabhupada's definition of a rascal, that you're making up your own system. Now, in and of, in and of itself, he may know many things. He may have follow other authorities in different areas. But when you take the role of guru, then you have to have a disciplic succession. And yes, if you don't have a disciplic succession, you are a rascal, in spite of the fact that you may, may say many things which are true. But you may say things which are not true or misleading. Or you may say nothing that's not true, but you don't lead people to Krishna. You just lead them to Brahman. So it's those kinds of people that Prabhupada was would call rascals. But as far as us in our daily life, why I don't see why we have to bother with it unless there's a need to clarify that because for our preaching, devotees need to know, oh, so many people are listening to him. What does he say? What is his position? Who is he? What do we think about him? That, that may be necessary. If you're... If you're a guru, your qualification is you've heard from your guru. If you have no guru, then then you have no claim to be a guru because you're not representing a tradition. That's the principle. I don't know if that answered your question, If that's it, but if it wasn't, if I didn't, then uh, let me know because I answered Ajay's, Nitai's question, which wasn't his question, but I think it was an important topic to answer. It's related to self-realized people you meet on book distribution. I mean, are there are there people in general who are uh, spiritually advanced out there? Why not? Probably not. Uh, Prabhupada said not many, but if they are, they are. But they may be impersonalists. So, an impersonalist may be very advanced. I just want to close this shade here. An impersonalist may be very advanced, but he's still an impersonalist. So he's lacking spiritually. So, I can tell you how, how I deal with it personally. If, if I... If I find a person that has some good qualities... I find it why not I find why not why not be inspired oh this person's very humble or this person is very controlled I can get inspired by that oh I sh I'm not even as controlled as him he's not even a devotee or he's on another path and he's very devoted like you know this singer Krishna Das Some devotees have said some negative things about him, but I met him once and I said, I said, you know, the Hare Krishna mantra is connected, so much connected in people's minds with the Hare Krishna movement. And didn't you see that as a liability when you were, you know, doing your kirtans? And like, why did you do that? And he said, 
I wasn't thinking like that. I was just thinking my guru told me to go out and chant, and that's what I did. So I thought, okay, you know, we may not follow his path or everything he believes we may not agree with exactly, but this principle, my guru is giving me instruction, whatever the result is, I'm not calculating, I'm just going to do it because he said it. I thought, oh, that's, that's good. So I noted that, and I thought, that's good. That's what we want to do. We want to follow our guru. And sometimes we think, well, maybe the result won't be good, but that's not the consideration. But we want to follow what they asked us to do. We want to do what will please them. So then, so then why not take inspiration from that? As Chanaka Pandit said, you can take gold from a filthy place. So I think... I think we can also say that's also a sign of humility, that you can respect others for their respectable qualities. Just like, you know, Prabhupada called, you know, philosophers and scientists, like fools, rascals, this and that. At the same time, he often would quote them when they said something which was Krishna conscious or something practical which was applicable to the work we were doing, he would quote them. And, and sometimes devotees say, you know, Prabhupada said, you know, books are the base, preaching is the essence. But some devotees said, no, that was like a Chinese statement or someone else said it, it wasn't Prabhupada. Or Prabhupada would say things, you know, the city is, God creates the country, man creates the city. And it was a poet who said that. So, you know, Prabhupada was educated, he knew these things. So sometimes... He would quote these persons because what they would say is true, although they would say other things that he wouldn't agree with. And if you read, what's interesting is if you read the book Dialectical Spiritualism, Prabhupada is being read or told the philosophy of different philosophers and he's commenting on it. And an immature response would be you just try to find fault in everything everybody says. But Prabhupada didn't do that. Prabhupada was not like that. So Shama Sundar would read, or I think Hayagriva would read and say, so-and-so says this, and Prabhupada would hear it, and he would say, and if it was something Krishna conscious or something that was aligned with our philosophy, Prabhupada would say, we also agree with that. Or they said, was it, was it St. Francis of Assisi said, you know, brother bird, sister tree, like that, something they told Prabhupada and said, yes, this is Krishna consciousness. You see, every living entity is your brother and sister. So it wasn't that Prabhupada was on a rampage to smash people even if he didn't agree with something else they said, but if what they said was Krishna conscious, he would say yes. Why would he smash that? It doesn't make sense. So if somebody is telling you something that's Krishna conscious or somebody is acting in a Krishna conscious way, why would you deny that? And secondly, by denying it, you lose the opportunity of being inspired by that. I just read something today that was so inspiring and, and so relevant to our Krishna conscious movement, and I think it's on my phone. But I can tell you, and you may have heard this before, 
I think it was a, an Israeli or an American politician. He said, Adlai Stevenson. It's from the, he's from the 50s and that, so I'm not sure who he was. But I knew his name, so we grew up with his name in America. And he said, people are more willing to fight for what they believe than follow what they believe. Like they'll kill for what they believe. And obviously killing for what you believe is not really what your teachings are teaching. Something like that. I thought, this is brilliant. And I'm sure you've read many brilliant things written by many brilliant minds that Krishna has revealed to them. So if we see that, we say, oh, Krishna has inspired this person. You know, we can see that. And said that, you know, it's like Krishna can speak through so many people. I was, I was uh, once doing Sankirtan, and I was going through a difficult time. I was actually at a point where I was going to take sannyas, but when I went to India, they weren't giving sannyas that year. I was only, how old was I? God, I was 29. So there was this feeling inside of me, okay, I'm going to take sannyas, I'm 29. You know, this is a long life ahead in the renounced order. It may not be easy. And I was in Salt Lake City. It's the town of Mormons. And this one person I was distributing books to, and I don't know the context. I don't remember the conversation. He said, he said, you will be tested. And I was already thinking like that. I said, oh, Krishna is speaking through this person. He's telling me, I'm going to be tested. Things will be difficult. You will be challenged in your spiritual life. Okay, so why, why wouldn't I take that as Krishna speaking through this person? Why wouldn't I take that as valid? I should. And then you can become inspired by anyone and anything. I think some of us who are artists become very inspired by the artwork or the writing or the music or the singing of different artists because we want to do that for Krishna. I know Jai Dwaita Swami as a writer. He's, he's, he'll, he'll, when he reads good writing, it's like it's it's an inspiration for his writing. Or if you're an artist and you see good art, it's an inspiration for your art. Or a good musician, or a good singer, or whatever it is you do, is an inspiration. Well, we should we should paint that beautifully for Krishna. We should write that beautifully for Krishna. We should act that beautifully. We should sing that beautifully. So why not? So, yeah, the answer to your question is yes. Um, Hare Krishna. Does every Sampradaya have a yagya for Kali Yuga? I'm not sure if they call it a yagya, but I know different Sampradayas stress different processes. But because it's coming through different chains, it may not go through Mahaprabhu, and therefore you wouldn't get the Hare Krishna mantra. So, you know, we have different sampradayas that Mahaprabhu amalgamated. So he took the essence of each sampradaya, he amalgamated their philosophy into one. But if you follow the path independently of Mahaprabhu, you may not find the Hare Krishna mantra as the Yuga Dharma, because that's specifically what Mahaprabhu came to give. Like if... The Balabas focus on deity worship. That's more the center of their 
as I understand. And some, sometimes people would ask, why do you chant Hare Krishna? And Prabhupada would say, because Lord Chaitanya did it, and Lord Chaitanya told us to do it, and that's why we do it. Like, simple answer. Like, you don't have to worry. He did it, he told us, we do it. So this is from Nadia. Nadia of Argentina. I know of many ISKCON members that were misguided to other organizations outside ISKCON. Some of them think they are still following Prabhupada. Some of them do not even... Whoops. Uh, mm, let's go back. Um, some of them think they're still following Prabhupada. Yeah, of course they would. They wouldn't go to another organization if they didn't think that's what Prabhupada wanted. Some of them do not even try to. Oh, they just take shelter of their diksha guru. Someone leaving ISKCON. Some leaving ISKCON with very good excuses to follow another guru. Is that a matter of maturity? I don't, you know, I don't think it's something we can control. I think it's just something that we need to understand what Prabhupada wanted us to do. I mean, there's so many, so many times Prabhupada said, don't leave ISKCON, stay within it to make it better. And I can see, at least from my vantage point, that uh, some of these devotees who left had good reason to leave. But they... The problems they saw, they really couldn't correct because now they're outside and so they have no authority or influence on the society. Maybe some influence through their preaching and writing, but, but in terms of changing policy and so forth, it's generally is indirect. So Prabhupada said, you know, stay inside and work to make it better. It's like you say, I, I think many of them do not feel that they're outside of ISKCON, do not feel that they're not serving ISKCON because they're still preaching, they're still giving Prabhupada's message, they're still giving the Maha Mantra, people are coming. And um, everyone's an individual and they have their individual reasons, but we want to stay in and make it better because we know that's what Prabhupada wanted. So that's why we do it. So now... Nadia says something which makes it a little worse. I know some devotees who left their Diksha Guru and got initiation with Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's disciples, and they say to steal respect of Srila Prabhupada's position. But isn't leaving their Iskan Diksha Guru leaving Prabhupada instruction? Yeah, um, probably. It's possible they have may, may have been preached to that a guru must be Mahabhagavad and no one in Iskand is a Mahabhagavad and therefore you need to get a Mahabhagavad and your guru is not qualified. That's the danger of going outside of Iskand because that's not true. And that's the, you know, you could say the protection or the uniformity of Iskand that you don't have to, you're not going to hear that generally. 
And that's not, you know, how can you say, you know, um, you've, you've taken Diksha from a guru who's not qualified when he has so many disciples that are making advancement. So, yeah, it's just, these are realities. This is what's going on, and this is what happens when devotees associate with some other organizations. They're going to hear, you know, your guru is not really Krishna conscious. Then giving up your guru, not, not recommended. Pra, you know, displeasing Prabhupada. Prabhupada's merciful. He's understanding. He knows, he knows the challenges everyone's going through. You know, he's Prabhupada is not like cutting us off. But it it's it's we're just trying to understand what would, would please him the most. Isn't listening to gurus outside of Iskon the cause of the problem? I remember an instruction to not read unauthorized books other than Prabhupada's maybe not following that instruction is the main problem. Yeah, you know, going outside can lead to giving up your guru. Yeah. There's no doubt. It's, yeah, it's a reality. And people will continually go. And if we make a better ISKCON, less people will go. You know, you know, in Argentina, there was one big guru and he fell. So now that that guru fell, those disciples of his are thinking, well, you know, I want to make sure if I take shelter again, I take shelter of someone who is not going to fall. And so sometimes they look for an Indian guru, an older guru, and they go outside of ISKCON because they lost faith. And we have to sympathize with that, I think. If you, know, if you were in the same situation, that you might be thinking that way, isn't it? And so I don't think we can condemn them entirely. But... If you have a guru who's in good standing and then you leave him to take initiation from another guru, that's not that's not right. Now, the argument is in some cases you're doing you're not doing well in your spiritual life and this other guru is helping you. Okay. So he can be your sixth guru. Sometimes the disciple will say, I lost faith in my Diksha guru, and then they will get reinitiated, but generally it's not recommended. But I think, I think Nadia also, when we see the situation, what you say is true. But when we see the situation, I think we also have to take some responsibility that things in Iskon may have pushed people over to that other side, and so we want to look at what, why did they do that, or what was their guru doing that caused them? Maybe there was some. Maybe he was acting in a way that, or preaching in a way that created doubts. Or the organ, ISKCON organization where they were was not um, clear philosophically on certain issues. So sometimes that's also a problem. So, you know, we don't want to justify their leaving, but we also want to look at, uh, were we in any way the cause of it, fully or partially? Kirti says, do you think somewhere in the future all Gaudiya Vaishnavas will be under one roof, like smaller groups merging in the larger group? What's the chance of happening, and wouldn't it be better? 
happening? Would it be better for us? Um, one devotee tried to do that. He created an organization. Or maybe he revamped the League of Devotees. I forget, you know. Um, created an organization where different Vaishnavas at different Sanghas meet. I think um, it may not get beyond that. And I don't know what would come out of that. I, I wish it were true that we could work more closely together. Maybe in the future. Um, I don't see it happening now. I don't. I don't. I think because of of the problems Iskon has had with devotees going to Gaudiamath and not coming back to Iskon and giving up their gurus, and some Gaudiya gurus preaching against Iskon or preaching that devotees in Iskon are not bona fide gurus, things like that, Iskon is feeling like, well, it's just better we stay, you know, on opposite sides of the railroad track. So that's kind of the paradigm right now, you know. High, the tall fences make good neighbors. That's kind of... That's kind of where it stands right now. And efforts have been made, and I can't say exactly what has happened, but the, from what I was told, it seems, in those efforts to unite the Gaudiya Vaishnav Society under a banner of one organization just to meet and have sanghas, there was not a lot of interest on ISKCON's side. And I'm not saying that's a right or wrong decision, but we do have history of a lot of devotees going to the other side and leaving ISKCON. So ISKCON is, you know, that's how they, that's how they see it. And so they're cautious. Um, 1982, uh, I think we lost 80 devotees who, went, who left ISKCON with their guru. I think a huge number, like 40, left one temple in the UK. So you can imagine losing 40 devotees because one ISKCON guru took shelter of a Godiamat guru. Whereas if he took shelter with an ISKCON, he wouldn't have left ISKCON. And it wasn't that like that Godiamat guru told him to leave ISKCON. It was his own desire. But he wasn't telling him not to leave ISKCON. So that's where you get the problem. And if a Godiamat guru sees a problem in ISKCON and someone from ISKCON comes and says, this is a problem, he's probably going to say, you're right, it is a problem. And often, when they ask, should I stay in ISKCON, the girl will say, that's for you to decide. So that's where you get this problem, is that we don't, you know... So if you, if you want to leave ISKCON and go there, okay, that's what you want to do. But to straddle both roads, generally, is not working, at least right now. I see we do appreciate other people who are Krishna conscious on some level, but at least for me, whenever I talk to a devotee, I didn't know. They start talking about their realizations. Mm -hmm. Their realizations reveal their minds. I don't know why, but each time I feel uncomfortable, vibe from what they say, and I don't want to talk to them anymore. Then eventually I find out they were from Vrinda, like a vibrator that never fails. 
Friend is another organization that is popular in South America, uh, run by a disciple of Prabhupada, who started his own group. I don't criticize them, but definitely don't like something about even before knowing they are friends. Is it offensive to honestly not like them or not want to talk to them? It's hard to accept them if you don't talk to them. <laughs> you should love everyone. Uh, I'll leave it at that. You should love everybody. Um, if, if you don't want to associate with some devotees, that's fine. Just don't be offensive. We did a nice program in Mexico with them, Frinda. They invite us. Um, and in Mexico, so, uh, there are a number of Vrinda devotees that go to Vrinda and go to the temple. And, you know, it, so it depends. depends on the local devotees and the mood. Where is the limit in finding inspiration in a non-devotee world? Where is the fine line? Um, very good question. Well, if I'm finding inspiration from, from seance, how do you pronounce her name? Celine Dion? Celine Dion? Because Krishna Karshani, I think you're inspired by her singing, right? That's nice, but <laughs> don't get inspired by her lifestyle or other thinking. <coughs> you know, it's like someone will say, well, kind of they're connected, you know? The person's art form and who they are as people is connected. So you just have to disconnect and not get too attracted. Say, this person is a great singer, but in terms of who they are as a person, maybe that's not for me. Maybe, and I, I could have, could be influenced by it if I, you know, if I'm, you know, it's not like you're going to listen to her all the time or, right, put pictures of her up on your wall or put her on your altar. Um, and the fine line is something you might experience yourself just by... I, I was reading some self-development books. At a certain point, I just said, okay, I've read enough of them for now because I could see there was a lot of karma kanda. You can do it yourself. There was no depend on God. And so I was like, okay, there are a lot of good points here, but at a certain point, I just felt... I had enough of it, it wasn't so healthy. So I think sometimes you can just feel it on your own consciousness. There's both situations, leaving a guru that fell, and in other cases, leaving a guru that's well-situated. But they don't like ISKCON anymore. I've been there, but I'm staying for Prabhupada. Good. Stay for Prabhupada, yeah. And thank you. Yeah, so... If you can all, if you can all stay in ISKCON um, and make it better, then you will please Prabhupada. And I understand if you hit some roadblock somewhere in some very dysfunctional situation where you're <coughs> not respected or treated well, you may find it difficult, but. See if you can be a catalyst for change and help it. Yeah, it's true. Nadi says there are many advanced devotees. Sometimes people say, well, there's you know so many neophytes, devotees in Iskam. Yeah, okay. Neophyte devotees are everywhere. But there's so many advanced devotees also. 
You see the thing about ISKCON. Okay, let me give you some history. We will end with a little history class because I think this will help. If you study a little bit about the history of ISKCON, you find that around 1967, 68, Prabhupada got very sick. I think he had a heart attack. And eventually he couldn't recuperate in America and he went to India. And devotees thought... He, this may be the last time we see him. And Prabhupada also didn't know. So could you imagine what ISKCON would look like if Prabhupada left in 1967? Could you imagine all the problems we would have had in establishing ISKCON and the fanaticism and craziness and wars and guru struggles with a bunch of 20-year-olds, one-year devotees? Okay, fortunately, Prabhupada stayed another 10 years. But it was still too early. We weren't mature. And so he left us a movement of very young people. I was 27 when Prabhupada left. I've been a devotee seven years. 27 is not a lot of experience materially to maturely guide people. And seven years as a devotee, your understanding of philosophy is also not deeply matured. So if you look at the situation and look at the problems we faced, a lot of devotees say it was all normal. It was all to be expected. You know, it's like if I give you certain tools and materials and you build something, and we look at it and we, and we say, hmm, not so good. But you say, well, these are the materials I had and these are the tools I had. <coughs> and under the circumstances, <coughs> this is the best I could do. And then we look at it and say, well, that's true. With these tools and these materials, this is all you could do. So something like that. These, this is what we had in ISKCON. This is our experience. These are the people. These are the tools, the resources. And we did some good things and we did some bad things. And basically... That's been the history of ISKCON, of re-navigating. Like, like I heard a plane when they fly, it's always, isn't, it's always re-correcting itself, something like that. So ISKCON's been in a process of re-correcting itself. And I was listening to a lecture from 1991 about women, and it's so interesting. 1991. That's 31 years ago. And if you listen to the lecture, it almost sounds like it's gone today. And that's 31 years ago. It takes time to solve problems. It takes time to understand solutions. There's a bureaucracy you have to go through. There's opposing elements who disagree. You want to give more rights to women. They disagree. It slows down the process. More conversation, more study, more discussion. So the point is, we're... We're not a mature organization, and we're constantly correcting and sometimes crashing and then rebuilding and correcting. So when people look at ISKCON and find fault with it, yes, it's true. But you will see that the next generation, we have devotees who are very advanced. We have many people who joined ISKCON who've come from Vaishnava families, Brahminical families, 
many very advanced devotees, sannyasis, um, second generation born in the movement, third generation. The landscape is changing, plus the experience. So when Prabhupada said, stay and work in ISKCON, I would just, I would just say to you that the way ISKCON is going to be better is by continually tweaking and guiding uh, and re tweaking, redirecting our path. We're going to do things wrong. But as we progress, we do less things wrong, and the wrong is less. And we start to understand more what is right. And unfortunately, we all have to be part of a movement who sometimes does some things wrong. But unless we stay within it and work to correct it, how is it going to succeed? And so if you study the history, things are better. There are more advanced devotees. Less, less gurus have fallen down in the last 10 years. Practically no sannyasis have fallen down. We have a system to vet sannyasis before they're given sannyas. There's an age requirement. They're, they wait for many years. They're studied. So, and we're learning, we're growing. And, and so Prabhupada gave us gave us a movement and we were very raw and not really qualified to run it and so a lot of what we've done is make, made mistakes and then devotees would say look at that's a mistake many 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 devotees have written papers on what they think is wrong in ISKCON offering them to the GBC discussing with leaders it's just the process this is how it works this is what we go through and so we have to tolerate that. And sometimes we may be treated unfairly because we're, you know, we're still in the maturing process. Sometimes a, a leader who's not fully qualified may have power and because there's no one else to do it. And we haven't trained a new generation of leaders, so we tolerate it. So that's... That's how ISKCON becomes better. It, it, you know, your preaching may be better if you leave and go on your own. You're less restrained and you can, you have more freedom. But the overall ISKCON is not made better. Of course, someone may say I'm wrong. Someone may say the influence of the preaching outside is helping. And, and I don't deny that to some degree that the realizations and the experience of others who have left this gun could help this gun. But working within the structure and correcting it is ultimately the way it will become better. And as we become more advanced, it becomes better. And we're all advancing every day. So that's what Prabhupada wanted. That's how it's going to work. And so if you see things that are wrong in Iskand, um just... Just try to understand, considering the resources we have, considering the age of ISKCON, these things that are wrong are kind of to be expected, considering the structure of ISKCON. You might say, but this person is doing something bad or he's doing something wrong, and we're not trying to say he's not. But then we would say, but where's the other leader? Who's going to do it? And then we realize, well, he's the only one to do it. And so when we... Try to work with him, talk to him, talk to other leaders. Can we improve this or that? And then we gradually, gradually 
get more on course, more on course, redirect, tweak. That's what we have to do. And as, as we do that, things get better and better and better. The female Diksha Guru has been on the table for, seven, I think, 17 years. It's been discussed. And that just shows you that in a movement that is young, one issue can occupy discussion for so long without a conclusion. And once we understand and everyone agrees, then it, it seems like simple. Oh, this is so simple. But coming to the simple conclusion is not always simple. Sometimes we have to see things go wrong long enough to understand, oh, now I see what the problem is. I didn't understand this. This is the problem. That we're thinking this way, but we should be thinking that way. Or that leaders are acting this way, but they should be acting that way. Sometimes, unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, that's the nature of correction. You have to make mistakes. Ah, and you know we're gonna we're gonna correct so many things, and then in your lifetime, there's going to be more to correct, and in the lifetime of the successive generations, there'll be more to correct. But in theory, the movement will be better and stronger as we're correcting and as devotees are more advanced. And, and the other thing is, people are joining ISKCON, which is a more, when as it becomes more mature, because they're joining a more mature organization, they mature very quickly. And so they become better and more mature and more capable as examples, as teachers, as leaders, because they're joining a more mature organization. I joined a very immature organization, just a bunch of 20-year-olds, hippies, total revolutionaries who hated everything material, who would you know, steal flowers for Krishna, steal gas for Krishna, lie on Sankirtan for Krishna. That was the level of maturity we had. So we've matured beyond that, and we'll continue to mature. And, and all of you who are joining now, you're joining, you're joining a movement that's not free of problems, but is different in many ways, some better, some worse, but in many ways more mature than when I joined. So, mm. yeah. Work to make it better. I don't see a better solution. I haven't. I mean, okay, we have a problem here in this discussion, and I'll. I just have to. I have to explain what happened. There was a situation in which a devotee was kind of pushed out of Iskan and I don't know that I don't know the reason why he was pushed out. But the devotees were so close to him, he was a leader in a certain part of the world that most devotees left Iskan with him. And they went on preaching and their preaching was more successful than Iskan's preaching. They opened more temples, more farms, more restaurants and made more devotees. So you know, it's not it's not always that a person leaving, it has a bad effect. It, it's just 
It's a separate organization now, and it was unfortunate that ISKCON couldn't empower that person. But this is an example of preaching expanding, like beyond what ISKCON could do when they went independent. But then again, it's it's the fault of ISKCON that they couldn't engage that person. Would have been nice if he could have done it with an ISKCON, but ISKCON pushed him out. So, but, oh, this is, this is amazing. How we got on this discussion is amazing. This person was so successful. So successful, basically. There's just no one preaching uh, because of, because, you know, one of the main preachers in South America was Harikesh. And when he fell, it was devastating. But this preacher never fell, so he's going strong, strong, strong. And then he had difficulty about a year ago, or two years ago. And it devastated the organization, as you could imagine. And if he were in ISKCON, the organization and the followers would be in a more stable situation than they are now. So it's an unfortunate situation, and that organization, in some areas, broke broke apart because they didn't want to work with him anymore. So then they formed their own temples, and so that's kind of what happens when you leave Iskon, and those things happen. Whereas when it happens in Iskon, it's also a disaster, but we have a bigger family, and so we can stay within that family and help everyone and stay united. So there, there's a difference. So you know. One hand, they succeeded more, but then the other hand, now they don't have the infrastructure to protect them as well as if they stayed in this kind. So it's a little history, and uh, it's time to say goodbye. And I hope that helped you in some way. I don't know if I confused you or helped you, or but I think we got the message. Okay? Thank you for listening, and we'll see you... Tomorrow we won't see you. I have Tuesdays I have meetings. So yeah, the meetings from eight to ten. You know. The other time the meeting ended earlier at nine. We had a class. But if they're gonna end at ten then uh, yeah, we won't have class. So we'll see you Wednesday then. Hare Krishna to everyone. Srila Prabhupada Kijai. Go Premanandi. Hari Hari Bo.